Before we get started with the show today, I want to thank Sarah Post for her generous donation of $25 on PayPal. Thank you so much for your donation. We really appreciate it. If you would like your own shout out on the Messy Studio Podcast, just go to www.messystudiopodcast.com and click the donate button. It's a yellow button in the upper right hand corner, and there you can set up a one time or a recurring monthly donation for literally any amount. So that's www.messystudiopodcast.com and click the donate button. On with the show. Hello and welcome to the Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's audio producer, podcast guru, and her son. On today's show, we are being authentic. Today's topic, being authentic in your work, is one that we've been considering covering for a while. Uh, but with the worldwide pandemic and the recent social unrest, it seems especially relevant. Being authentic in your work means being true to yourself and unafraid in your creative explorations. During this time when we are experiencing such massive changes around us, examining how authentic we are being in our work can lead to new insights and growth. With me, as always, is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. So as you said in your intro, we are really going through some times of change and upheaval and it seems to me that the more we are dealing with in our lives um, as individuals or as a culture, the more important it is to bring our whole selves to our work. Um, it's good for our mental health and for also, you know, just for processing these times and and for our ongoing growth as artists. So um, being authentic sounds kind of simple. Okay. Um you know, if, if it could be defined as just kind of knowing what your real desires are for your work. But when you think about it, it's actually pretty difficult and confusing to know what that right path is. We're all vulnerable to being thrown off track um, by forces within ourselves and outer forces. Um, and I think there's sort of um, two ways of getting into this. And one is that there are aspects of ourselves that are hidden and they're sort of unexplored, but they're worth exploring. They they are, we should need to acknowledge parts of ourselves that we don't always bring up in our work, um, whether we do that publicly or as just work for ourselves. Um, but that's part of being a whole person. But as I said, there are also ways that we can be waylaid by things that really aren't about us, that are not about our own understanding of ourselves, um, which can come from different places that we're going to get into and uh, things people tell us and things we think we should do or shouldn't do or whatever. And so filtering through all this stuff, it's it's really gets down to understanding who we are and um, both accepting and acknowledging our own natural inclinations as being strengths, um, but also what are the limitations if we don't go beyond the more obvious of those, the ones that we're used to working with. But those those natural inclinations can, like I said, they can be strengths. We can work with them and not against them. You can add to them. You can grow from there. You don't need to completely cast them away uh, with some desire to change. And so it can be an organic process. So it's... It, 
this is one of those things that's a little bit hard to talk about um, because it can be kind of general and vague, but I'm going to try to pinpoint some of the things that, at least to me, indicate that your work is authentic and also some things that might show that maybe it's you're off track. And starting with the things that I feel make your work authentic, and here we're, I'm not talking about... Um, you know, the mechanics of making a good piece of art. Um, this is about your personal expression. It's about the source of your work, like what drives it? What are you interested in? Um, and, and putting aside, you know, how to make that work, which we definitely cover in a lot of other podcasts. So this is this is your connection to your work. So So one of, to me, the signs of authentic work is that the artist feels a strong connection to it. And that can be an emotional connection. It can be a more conceptual idea. Um, and, and it goes beyond just thinking, well, this, this works, this is a painting that works, you know, but does it mean something to you? Do you, do you uh, feel something about it? And that there, for you, the artist, there's an intuitive rightness to it. It just feels like you. Um, and, it can be a little hard to explain that. I mean, hard to put that into words, but it is that sense of connection. So I think we all know that we have paintings like this, or I'm saying painting, but whatever kind of work you do, there are pieces that you feel very connected to and you say, yes, that's me. And there are others you do that, mm, maybe not so much. And that's okay. You know, it, you will have ones that you feel more connected to. But it's sort of a matter of paying attention to where that connection lies. And I also feel that authentic work is flexible. Like it's you're not cemented into any one thing because because you are a whole person and you are expressing different aspects of yourself. We, we are not static beings. Like we're always evolving. So whatever this path that you may be on that feels authentic to you, it should also be a kind of an open-ended uh, way of working that gives you a sense of freedom um, that relates to who you are right now. And like we said in the intro, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. And so is your is your work flexible enough to allow expression of whatever you're feeling now, which can be a lot of different emotions or ideas and thoughts um, related to our situation? Um Obviously, authentic work is personal. I mean, that's pretty much what I just said. At the same time, we all have influences. We all, you know, have pulled things from other people's ideas and work, and that's just part of the flow of art. But um, once you start really emulating someone else closely, you're probably losing that authenticity uh, because authentic work comes from who you are and your own experience and your own thoughts. And you, you can like what other people do, but you know, you can't, uh, we, we did an episode once about, you know, influence versus copying and it, it gets down to that. So, um, that's, that's something to keep an eye on. Um, how much, is someone else uh, influencing you? There's also this uh, this interesting aspect to art in that we we create it and we put our heart and soul into it and we care deeply about it and then we let it out into the world and <laughs> we don't keep it. Um, and it's I think that that's something that that people who aren't 
artists don't really understand. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's in order to for it to be impactful in the world, you have to care deeply about it and then you have to be able to let it go. (gasps) Yeah. What a what a um, it's another one of those balancing acts that we're always talking about. (laughs) Really, really care about it and then let it go. (laughs) Yeah, I was trying to explain that to somebody and and they just did not get it. They they had they were like, How could you how could you ever sell something that you've you know put so much of yourself into and, and that you care about and it's like well it's it's time to let it go if it's time to let it go it's either, well, it's built into the process you know <laughs> exactly and the word process I mean for a lot of artists that's where it's at is once you're done with it you it's not quite as interesting honestly I mean it's like you can feel really good about it and you can be proud of it but you detach from it when when you stop working on it. At least I, yeah. I know a lot of artists feel that way. Um, and the other thing, I, I guess it's a bit of a crass analogy since you're my son, but it's a bit like parenting in a way. I mean, you, you raise the child, you're very, very involved in all of that. And then there's a certain point where you say, okay, I'm letting you go. You know, go live your you, life. You know, it's funny because that's <laughs> that's exactly the analogy that I used when I was expressing this to somebody else. I was like, it's like it's like your baby. And mm-hmm. at some point, it's time to let it go. It's time it, like you want this thing to, to go and, and have a, a life of its own beyond you. <laughs> you know, you that, don't want to yeah. just just smother it for your whole life. You want it to to mm-hmm. go out into the world and do yeah, its because, own thing, you know? And it is, you know, it is communication. So you you let it go. You let it go and, and function on its own, doing whatever it does. Um, and, but, you know, I, I think that you can, the fact that you can let it go does not mean that you weren't involved with it, that it wasn't authentic, that it wasn't important to you in the time. And so I also think, I think you touched on this a little bit, but that is... The fact that you were involved in it makes it a stronger work of art that will speak to other people. That authenticity really does show um, it's something it's it's kind of hard to put a finger on. But I, I often think when I look at something, the words will occur to me, that's a very sincere piece or that piece seems kind of derivative. It seems like it's driven from something outside the artist. And it, it can be hard to... Um, you know, to really describe that, but it something comes through when it's when it is personal, when it's sincere, um, and this flexibility I think is really key. Like, if you see someone doing the same work over and over and over over a period of many years, and it never really changes, then to me there is a lack of authenticity. Not that the person didn't originate the idea, not that they weren't very invested in it. But if you're really working from your whole self, you are going to change over time as a person, and your work can reflect that or should reflect that. And otherwise, it starts to seem like production mode, you know, (laughs) like I'm just making these things because this is my brand or this is what sells, and or this is what people expect of me or many other things that can keep you from that exploration of uh, this thing that happens because we change as people, um, your core interests, what's really important to you at the base doesn't necessarily change. And that, but that's a base for whatever else you're going to explore. And it will tie your work 
together. I would say not everything you do has to be your whole person. I mean, we, we can we can compartmentalize. We could split off and say, now I'm going to do this uh, type of work for a little bit and see where it takes me. Um, but when you have sort of a core sense of who you are, it it does tie together, and and you don't necessarily have to show everything either. I mean, you're you curate what you show to people, and we all have parts of our our lives as well as our work that are private that we don't share with other people. So, um, I guess my basic advice is work freely, authentically, and then decide uh, how you want to manage that. I mean, what what is the body of work that you want to show people, put on your website, et cetera, but not say, I can't do this other thing because what will people think? Um, they don't even have to see it. It's part of your own growth. Um, and I also wanted to say one last thing about what is authentic is that it doesn't mean just because something um, is bothers you or is difficult, um, that doesn't mean that going after that is inauthentic. I mean, we all have challenges. We all have things we want to do that we're not quite able to get a, a grip on yet. Um, but those those things that really seem to be pulling you in a very different direction, I think it's worth questioning them. Um, and I'll get into this more a bit later. Are they pulling you because of some outside influence that says you should examine this, you should go this direction, or is it really you? Um, and that that can be a difficult thing to know um, because there's a lot of a lot of things that pull us in different ways. Um, so those are you know some aspects I think that that identify authentic work. It doesn't mean that the work is good work. I mean, in a objective way, uh, it may be that you have to go through a lot of stages to develop authentic work that is also um, work that other people can appreciate or say that's a good painting for this reason and that reason. Um, but to allow yourself to go through difficult stages on your way and say, hey, that's part of me, that's part of what I'm trying to figure out, that's really important. If you just jump right into trying to do um, good work without those necessary personal steps, I don't think you get there. I mean, it may look like you get there. They may be superficially getting there, but you have to do that work. Um, and that's really what makes it authentic to me. Yeah. One thing has to naturally lead to the next. You can't just jump, yeah. jump from one step to 10 steps down the road. And that, and that's really what, what happens when people are over influenced by another artist and they look at someone's work and they say, I want that. I want to do that. They are not, going through those steps. I mean, the person that's doing that work evolved that way and it was hard and they, they had a lot of stuff that wasn't that great and they suffered, you know, <laughs> as we all suffer. And it's not authentic to say, I like the look of that. I think I'll try to do that. Um, that's not you. Right. Uh, that, that's purely an aesthetic choice. It doesn't have the, the depth of meaning behind it. Right. And, it's never going to mean as much to you. And you'll always be measuring yourself against, well, you know, how close is that to this other person, you know, that I'm emulating <laughs> instead of what's my path? You know, what am I trying to do? Um, and then I guess it kind of leads into what uh, what is inauthentic and in work. And we kind of, I mean, you could surmise a lot of it from what we just said, but 
basically a question that um, I know when Jerry and I teach uh, together, he often asks students, does this feel like you? Um, or, or if they're trying to decide a direction, which one feels more like you? Um, another student of mine once put it to me in a rather more graphic way. She said, um, I ask myself, does it smell like me? <laughs> which kind of makes me chuckle. But it's it's that, you know, that's very um, gutsy, really. Does it smell like me? <laughs> um, and that's a really good guideline. Um because it, if you really confront yourself with that, it filters out a lot of stuff. And I would also say, um, is it a present you? Is it a you that you are right now? It's not a past you. It's not a future you. Um, and by that, I mean, if it's a past you, maybe you're just um, making art as habit. It's, you're, you're relying on old ways of doing things. Um, you're using the same solutions to your creative problems over and over, uh, say maybe the same composition, same color palette or whatever. And you're sort of denying your own curiosity, your own need to grow, your need to try things. And so uh, questioning if it's habitual or formulaic as sort of an older you is a good step. And also by, is it, are you more like a future you? That's kind of what we were talking about. Are you it, sort of emulating something that you maybe you don't actually connect with right now? It's just like uh, liking the look of something and trying to imitate it, but um, it's not coming from a real understanding of yourself or um, your own intentions, and you're just sort of projecting forward. I'd like to be able to look like so-and-so's work, um, not who am I right now and what am I doing? Um and it, it, it kind of, as an aside, it's it's a good point to remember. And someone said this to me once, and I thought it was so on point. Uh, I think she was told it by one of her teachers. But remembering that you can admire things in another person's work that are not right for you. And it's just what we were talking about. That person has gotten there by their own experience. Um, and And it's not – you can admire a lot of kinds of work that are not really your own path. Uh, one thing that can really pull you off an authentic path is concern with pleasing a particular audience. And these <laughs> these people may live in your head in the form of uh, teachers or um, friends or whatever. Um, or it may be a particular audience that actually exists, say, if you have galleries in a tourist area and uh, or a particular city where a particular kind of art is admired and purchased. And you're thinking about how do I please this group of people? Um, or maybe it's um, interior designers that like a certain type of work, whatever it is. And, you know, there are practical considerations. Obviously, most of us need to sell our work. And there are considerations for marketing your work. But at its core, doing something to please this amorphous audience is is kind of false to me because, for one thing, um, well, it's false because it's not sincere coming from you necessarily. It's also trying to read something into somebody else is pretty hard. I always just say, make the work that you're going to make and then figure out who is the audience for that work rather than people-pleasing from the beginning and in life in general, that doesn't really work, you know? <laughs> well, and I think that people have a uh, 
they they naturally despise being pandered to. Yeah. Um and and if you if you're just trying to please the crowd, um you know, most people are going to not take kindly to that. Um and mm-hmm. it, it comes off as uh self-serving. I will say there are a lot of artists that do this successfully. I mean, a lot of artists when we say somebody's sort of commercial, um it's it's somewhat derogatory term in the art world. Well, their work's kind of commercial, but I think that's what it means is they're producing art for a particular market. They may be very successful at it. And and if that's where they're at and what they want to be doing, you know, I don't want to criticize that, but that's not what I'm concerned about talking about. So um that but that is it is a path and many people are on it. And so um what I'm concerned about is this authenticity, this this growth in the artist, and trying to make work that's meaningful to the artist, which to me is a different thing. I mean, you're you're not necessarily it's a balancing act because you do want to communicate, but you're not trying to please necessarily. You're just trying to do what feels right to you. And I think that that's a great distinction. Mm-hmm. There are other ways that we can get thrown off track that are that are sort of positive, like. Maybe you've shown your work to a friend and they say, you know, I really like this thing you're doing right here. This is very interesting to me. And then they leave and then you're in your studio and you're thinking, oh, well, so-and-so thought that was really interesting, you know, <laughs> and you start, and maybe that's good. And, and it, it often is very good. It opens up ideas and these are good. But there can be times when people throw you off track because you respect them and you like them and they're saying, oh, but I, I think this is the way to go. And then maybe it's not for you. <laughs> maybe because oftentimes people respond to work in terms of what they like, what they're interested in. It may not be what is right for you. And this happens. I, I'm vulnerable to this. I will say, you know, uh, I know this feeling of somebody responding to something, an artist, somebody I respect. And I'm like, oh, okay, that must be working, you know. <laughs> and so, and And putting a little too much focus on it and not realizing that, Whereas coming from really, we can't help doing this is it's coming from our own interests. Um, so that those are positive voices that can throw you off. And, and I often say positive uh, comments can can be as deflecting as negative ones or more so. But there are also those negative voices, those inner voices. You know, we, we talked about that. It was episode 113, inner voices um, that tend to give us shoulds and should nots and what are you doing? And, you know, question this in a negative way that are trying to direct our work. And, um, you know, to go into that in more depth here, I won't do because we have kind of covered that in that other episode. And what does all this feel like when you're being inauthentic? What is it? How do you experience it? It can often feel like um, you're, you you lack motivation. You're sort of in a block. Um and it can also feel like you lack ability because if you're trying to emulate someone else and you're not there, you can feel like, what am I even doing? I, I don't have any ability or whatever. Um, so all these things that are kind of going in on, on your, at your core, you know you're being inauthentic, but you don't really see it consciously and, and they can work on you and they can cause you to struggle and feel blocked. Um, so... I have some. I have an interesting thing I want to read, um, and this comes from a, a friend of the podcast, Paul Bodwin. 
And he was whose talking, name I mispronounced when I thanked him for his donation. <laughs> Bodwin, yes. Um, I, I I'd just like to say real quick before you before you get to Paul, I, yeah. I do my best with your names, guys. Like I I, I really try. I so if I mispronounce your name uh, when I'm thanking you for a donation, I'm very sorry for all the names that I'm sure I've mispronounced in the past, <laughs> and all the names that I will continue to mispronounce. If we all do it, and 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 my name is Crowell, not Crowell. I just want to say that. Okay. <laughs> All right, going on. So, um, and getting back to this idea of of inner voices and things that a lot of us get conditioned early in life that you know we we are certain ways we're sort of taught these ways. And so, uh, Paul's story, and I thank you, Paul, for contributing this, um, it sheds light on this kind of childhood uh, conditioning, and also um, as well as a struggle to know what. What's right in your own work? Um, and so before I start with this too, I want to say, if any of our listeners don't know what a TV dinner is, do you know what a TV dinner is, Russ? Yeah, of course. Okay, good. I wasn't sure if it was a generational thing. Anyway, the little compartmentalized. I mean, I think it is. I think it's very. It's a very 70s concept, but yeah, you know, okay. it's, I, anyway, they, it's, they it's, were a part of my childhood to some were? extent. <laughs> yeah. Did I feed you TV dinners? Well, not all the time, but you know, it's if if there's like if if there's a babysitter that's taking care of us while you and oh, dad okay. are out for the night, then you know we're we're eating TV dinners. Okay, you know? all right. I believe I believe that the brand was Kid Cuisine that we. Oh bought. yeah! Oh right! Okay! All right! Yes, <laughs> you're bringing it all back to me. Thank you so much. Okay. Anyway, I just want to make sure people understood that concept before I read this. The so food is all compartmentalized. Okay. So this is Paul's story. When TV dinners appeared in the 1960s, my mom was thrilled. See, she believed that no food on a plate should touch other food. I remember the countless... I remember the countless times she yelled at me for combining things, say, putting peas in when by potatoes. Um, he says, that also as a child, I was also not allowed to have friends over, play in the sand, or in any way get dirty. Perhaps that training seeps into the way that I make things. I watch others paint with their hands, spill, throw, drip paint, all with great effect. But I find it difficult to make work this way. When I step back and look at my work, I see the fastidious of it, fastidiousness of it. The intentional placement of this color, the balance of that mark to the others. And it seems to me what I would call mannered. He puts that in quotes. Perhaps by this I mean well-behaved. Yet I enjoy seeing work where the maker works in another way. I know that to compare my work with others is detrimental, and I'm beginning to think that perhaps it is time to undo that well-mannered making. Um, Maybe this is an inner voice. Maybe this is a discipline. Maybe it's an aesthetic decision. It's not that I'm afraid to do such work, that is, to become more action-oriented. So a few weeks back, I decided not to use a paintbrush at all, hands only, on paper, get messy, get dirty, get gestural. Within five minutes of giving myself permission to do this, I was in the sink cleaning my hands. (laughs) We'd sort of see that coming, right? Um, Right. (laughs) And I was upset with myself because I found this way of working impossible. So the teacher in me says, keep making it this way and show yourself that one, you can do it. And then two, evaluate if the work you make is really what you want to make. 
As a composer and teacher, I'm always encouraging my students to try all kinds of music. He's a musician. To make a kind of toolbox for themselves. Um, and you can replace music with any creative discipline in this analogy. I want to be able to make work in many ways, but undoing old patterns is really hard. And so um, I I feel that many of us can identify with this this story. I mean, this urge, I, I really want to try this thing. And it's like, it's really difficult. Um, and I admire this in other people's work. And is it is it authentic to me? Is it something that's just been... Um, you know, shut off by some early childhood conditioning and a continual inner voice that says, you know, be be ban- be mannerly, be well behaved, don't make a mess. Um, you know that those kind of voices are powerful and they can persist uh, from childhood. So um, pushing to do something that is really completely outside of your natural inclination. Uh, it can be inauthentic. It can be that you're trying to uh, just do something someone else is doing, or it could be recognizing that something important was shut down early on. And so um, when I mentioned earlier that we need to look closely at things that are bothering us in our work, things that are presenting challenges, that's what I I mean to try to find the distinction between that. Um, Are these important and necessary challenges or are they pulling us off track because they're sort of inauthentic, but we think maybe we should be doing them? Um, the, you know, there's no right answer to this. I can't do this for anybody. But sometimes just questioning it, you know, and, and letting it s- sit with you for a while, it can reveal whether this is important or whether it's a sidetrack that maybe isn't going anywhere. So um, if you sense that something is inauthentic, I think how to deal with that, how to question that or change that um, gets back to the basic questions. Does it feel like me at all? Does it feel like it's potentially me? Um, am I avoiding something that actually is important and that I do want to explore? Or am I doing this to please an audience or shut up those inner voices or whatever it is? Um and, you know, our, our whole selves, we have to know that they are messy and contradictory. Our authentic selves are not one thing, right? <laughs> um, you know, a person might say, well, my comfort zone where I feel most like me is is orderly, is, is in, you know, everything's in one place and well thought out. But I also like spontaneity. And that can absolutely be two sides of a person. And it sounds like, you know, that's what Paul's struggling with here. Um, and one of the ways to deal with these contradictory aspects of ourselves is maybe to frame them as a dichotomy. And this is, I, I've often brought up this word in, in different podcasts because it's really interesting to me. It's like two sides of the same thing, order and chaos, for example, in this case. And if you work with both of these concepts, even in a single piece, it brings a lot of it brings a dynamic quality to something, and it also acknowledges that yes, I struggle with these things. <laughs> I struggle with, uh, say, strength and fragility, or some other thing, light, lightness and darkness. I mean, most people have these kind of dichotomies in their personality, and bringing that into the work is is a way to really add depth to it. Um, I guess another 
suggestion I kind of touched on earlier, if you're if you want your work to be more authentic, is to is to work in side tracks in asides as maybe a series um, to sort of actually like the TV dinner, kind of com- compartmentalize things, say, well, over here, I'm going to work on some spontaneous drawings. And over here, I'm going to work on more structured paintings. But but do both things and see if somehow they do start to talk to each other and, and come together. Another example of that um, is people who work very realistically, and they say, but I'm really drawn to abstraction. That's often a very authentic feeling. Um and, and yet very difficult to move into. And so to, to off to one side, start playing with abstraction. You don't have to make it public. You don't have to talk about it, but it's there. It's part of your studio practice. And eventually it's going to start changing, you know, the way that you work and the way that you see things. Um, different types of media can help you with expressing different parts of yourself. Um, I mean, for example, printmaking usually requires a lot of kind of fastidiousness or forethought with the exception of monotype, but other types of printmaking are process oriented. They're, you know, in terms of technical process, you have to do this before you do that. That may really satisfy a part of you. Um, whereas you may turn around and paint in a, in a kind of a different way, a different approach, more looser. Um, and um, I mentioned also earlier being okay with having some of this preliminary work um, not be there, not be really good, and also being okay with having some work that you put out in the world that, you know, is good, it's fine, everybody likes it, you sell it, it looks good. Some pieces you will not necessarily connect with emotionally, but they're good paintings. Um, and and that is part of most artists' experience, I would say. Um, I think we all have these Paintings that we say, yes, that's a good painting. I'm not sure it really speaks to me, but that's okay. Um, I think it's fine to have some paintings that are like that. Um, it's it's probably too high a goal to say that every single thing you do has to be meaningful and authentic and all that. Um, and sometimes they these paintings do show a way into something that is a, is a good path. So I don't mean that you have to be super critical about everything, like in that sense that it has to be so personal. Um, but um, there's a difference between something um, that, you know, you put out there and it it's it's successful in the ways that we think of success and saying, okay, well, that was kind of a one-off <laughs> or something, and, and actually saying, okay, that's the way to go, and then becoming more and more inauthentic because you're following that path. Um, I think there's a lot of work, this is kind of a different point, but there's a lot of work that seems in the moment like, oh, I really like this, I'm really connecting with it. And then um, you put it aside for a few days and you come back to it and you say, mm, actually, no, uh, you were in the moment seduced by something about it uh, that was attractive, but perhaps superficial. And this happened to me just this past week. I had a painting that I had set up a challenge for myself that I was going to use some brighter color and that I wanted to center the image in the the painting, which is something I guess I said I was going to do when we talked about composition. And I thought, okay, this looks pretty good. I like this. You know, this is different. And I put it away, and I looked at it two days later, and I thought, oh, no, that just does not feel right to me. It's not 
I'm still thinking about that challenge. And sometimes new ideas are uncomfortable. Um, but now I'm asking myself, is it me? Is it, am I getting off track with this whole thing? Is it worth exploring? I still think it's worth exploring. But I'm not, I painted over that painting. It doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> it was not me. So in the process, I found something that I like a lot more and that is kind of different. So in other words, I don't know. What is in other words? We can so easily be thrown off track by this stuff. And it, it involves a lot of self-reflection and time to stay on track with being authentic. I think that if you're working more formulaically or inauthentically, I, I think that it stops being fun pretty quickly. Um, and and that, that may be just kind of like an, an indication. You know, if you just ask yourself, is this enjoyable for me? Right, because enjoyment indicates, you know, an, an involvement and excitement, an exploration, right. an interest, um, which may burn itself out quickly. It may prove to be something that wasn't quite right. But I think that's very true. Um, as soon as you start to feel bored with it, it's probably an indication of the no longer authentic <laughs> right. part of you. <laughs> well, do you have any final thoughts to wrap up this episode? Only that it can be really hard to separate what we do that is true to ourselves and our situations. Um, and back to the very first thing we talked about, true to the situation now, what we're going through now, are we responding to what's present about around us? Um, or are we um, working from some other motivation, which might be to please others or emulate something we like, or maybe it's because it's something that we really know how to do very well and we keep doing it, but we're failing to take in changes that are in our lives and so it's really an ongoing challenge to bring out what is sincere, what's true. Uh, it means being really honest with yourself and um, what are your motivations, what are your influences. And, you know, this can be difficult for sure. It's it's kind of, it's always hard to be really that honest with yourself. We, we have so many ways of talking ourselves out of, you know, that. <laughs> well, that just about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. For more from The Messy Studio, please check out www.messystudiopodcast.com and sign up for the email list. You can also find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner. For more from Rebecca Kroll, please check out www.rebeccacroll.com and www.squeegeepress.com and sign up for the email lists to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. The Messy Studio Podcast is a core publication management production. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space, messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.